going to be in the book of Genesis. Uh, it's, it's kind of intriguing to me. It was very much so as I prepared for this message, is that uh, the content of this message would be pretty obvious how deeply connected to what happened in Lewiston, Maine, where uh, a man hearing voices decided to listen to them, and it took him into a rage in which he killed uh, 18 people. Four of them were deaf at a bowling alley, and uh, they couldn't hear the shouts to get down, and he slaughtered them. Um, one was a lady that just retired 50 years as a school teacher, 50 years. She and her 75-something-year-old husband was up uh, at the bowling alley teaching kids how to bowl. 50 years, she just retired as a school teacher, gunned down, gunned down, murdered, cold blood, premeditated, planned out. We're going to deal with the first murder in the Bible. Not because of that. I'd been working on this weeks ago, laid it out. But I wouldn't preach this if I was pastoring in Maine right now. Wouldn't be appropriate now. It's comfort. Not trying to bring explanation. I'm not trying to do that here. It's just where we are. We're going to deal with the first worship service, so to speak. And the first murder is related to the first combined worship service. I'm not saying Adam and Eve weren't worshiping. I think they trained their children how to worship. I think they passed on the story of how God killed the first animals, made skins and garments over them to cover their nakedness and their shame. And so chapter 4 means no, makes no sense without chapter 3 where sin enters the world. We're going to see it grow like a cancer. So let's start in chapter 4, verse 1. Adam laid with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Now, you've got to connect this to chapter 3, the promise of a redeemer coming, one that would crush Satan's head. Uh, this story is the first evidence of war between the two seeds, Satan's seed represented by Cain and God's seed or Mary, uh, through Eve represented by Abel. So she's excited she's got a man child. Now, she may have had a bunch of daughters up till now. I don't, we don't know that. Uh, they're obviously the first parents. Uh, there's a lot that Genesis doesn't tell us. And, you know, it's just God's way of saying, don't worry about it. I've got it figured out. You don't have to worry about all the details of everything. Uh, but get what I am telling you. So he's telling us this story. And so they, uh, she had a child. She's celebrating him. Verse 2, she has another child. She calls him Abel. Abel kept flocks. He's a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of his fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. They had to have some sense of, of passed on that we worship the God that made us. They're, they're, they're the second generation earthlings, and they know the story. Uh, so they're, they're, they're coming to honor uh, God. Whether there was an altar built, I'm, I'm assuming there was, uh, they come to honor God. He brings his fruit from his soil. Verse 4, but Abel brings the fat portions, that's the expensive part, uh, uh, from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So the first thing that this story presents to us is what is acceptable worship and what's not. Why did God like 
Abel's offering. And, 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 and my sense is Abel knew he liked it because Christ came as he walked in the garden. He's still visiting them in human form, and he comes and he, he smiles over Abel. And basically like a proud parent whose daughter just uh, uh, kicked the winning goal at a, a soccer championship or a, a, a mother joy just looking at a son that just hit a home run and, and, and won the, the, the game. And, and he's looking in, in a far greater way. He's looking at Abel saying, I'm pleased. Good job. Smell that aroma. And it's making it all the way to God in heaven. Christ representing him as in human form. Smiling over him. Then he looks over at Cain's offering. It's like, just saying, I don't like it. Now, when God doesn't like something, you have an option there to change or to argue. It's kind of like for years, I gave my mother flowers at every holiday. Flowers. Every woman likes flowers. My mother, after years, says, you know, I just got to tell you, I don't like those flowers you bring. She said they smell bad. They remind me of a funeral. Now, she likes plants, but she didn't like flowers. I'm like, Mom, why didn't you tell me? I wasted all that money. Back then, that was, a, that was expensive. Getting, I thought, oh, man, I'm, I'm the son, giving her a big bouquet. As soon as we left the house, she threw them out. You know, God's like my mother. There's things he likes. There's things he doesn't like. And you can argue with him why he ought to like it. And that's kind of what Cain does. In fact, we're warned from the New Testament and the book of Jude, don't go the way of Cain. Now, we'll see what that is in a minute. And it's more than just the fact that he becomes a murderer. There's that. But in this context, it's about the kind of worshiper he was. Let me show you why God liked Abel's offering. If you hold your finger here, if you're following the Bible, or you're looking on your electronic device, or on the screen, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, which is spoken of as the faith chapter, where it highlights all these people of the Old Testament that lived by faith, and God blessed them and said, these are people I'm holding up to you to walk after them as examples. The first one he mentions is Abel. So in chapter 11, verse 4, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, by faith, don't miss that. That's what the key here. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead today. He's at the Vineyard Community Church in Cape Coral speaking to us saying, let me give you an example of how to worship God in a way that pleases him. And his way is described by faith three times in one verse. Faith is always based on a word from God, a message from God. Uh, the book of Romans says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the message of the word of God. You, you can't have faith without truth, the message that you're trusting in. So Abel heard the story of redemption from his mom and dad. Good parents pass on their faith. Good parents don't just 
send their kids to try to get religious training. They model it to their children. They show it. You know why my children, my wife and I's children to this day, they honor God with their first offering to God. They give God 10% of their income. When they were single mothers, they did it. When they were prospering, they did it. When they lost their homes in the crash in 06 and 07, they did it. They, they've, you know why they did that? Well, one, they have their own relationship with God and they honor God. But they walked with a mom and dad that modeled it their whole life. They saw mom and dad always the first thing we did was we took out 10% of our money when, when we got paid. And then on top of that, we gave things away. We gave cars away. They weren't fancy cars, a lot of miles. We gave them away. We never traded in cars. We just give them away. We taught them every year we'd go to Christmas, they'd go and pick out their best toy and give it to a family that was in need. Not the toy that the arm fell off of and the dog chewed the toes off the other foot and let me give that to Jesus. And we don't give junk to Jesus? No! That's what was wrong with Cain. Cain gave him the cheap sacrifice. It cost him nothing. He pulled some fruit out of the ground. Abel had to kill something. It cost him. It should have been. So why did he kill something? Because he had faith that God was going to be honored and deserved the best that he had. He didn't give him, well, I got little Fluffy, the diseased sheep, who's only got one eye, and, you know, he's been, you know, in, in limping, and he's got some skin disease, and I could never eat him because I think he's got worms. Let me give Fluffy to Jesus because I can't eat him. That's not the heart of a worshiper. The heart of a worshiper says, God, I'm grateful, and God, I need a substitute. See, this is what Cain didn't see he needed. Cain didn't see that he needed somebody to represent him and that offering before God. And let me just tell you, tomatoes and cucumbers can't represent sacrifice. They're fruit. Now, it can be a general sense of God, thank you for my harvest, but it needed blood. And we're going to see that through this story. So God, Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, give me five, Abel. Yeah, come on. You the man. You my boy. You know how happy the father is? You're righteous. Not because you're good enough, but because that animal represented taking your place. You deserve to be on that altar. You know you've got sin. You know you need cleansing and forgiveness. That's what this worship is all about. Cain, not so much. I'm not that. I'm, 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 I'm better than Abel. I'm stronger than Abel. Smarter than Abel. My, maybe all that's true. I don't know. Something's creeping inside of him. And then Jesus says this, in this anger, he warns him. In, in chapter 4, verse, uh, uh, I'm back in Hebrews. Let me get back to Genesis. Chapter 4, verse uh, 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why, why are you angry? Jesus knew. He never asked questions because he's ignorant. He asked questions to get you self-aware, provoke you. He could have just come in and said, dude, you got a wicked heart, and if you don't take it in check, it's going to end really bad for you. Instead of that, in kindness, he says, think about it for a minute. What, what would you have a reason to be angry about? You didn't honor God with your heart. Jesus knows that. You can't fool Jesus. He's standing there before Cain saying, why would you be angry? Why is your face, why are you so pouting? Self-pity. Do you know the root of a lot of really bad sins? 
come out of self-pity. Oh, oh, it's not fair. And then the devil puts his arms around you and goes, yeah, why would, why would somebody do that to you? Look at you. You deserve better than that. You need, you need to get back at that. You need to, you know, and the devil loves to kiss you in your self-pity. He loves to coddle you and saying, well, you know, you deserve better than that. Look at how, and remember when they did this, this, and this? Oh, come on. And haven't you done this, this, and this? Look at this. Look at how you're being, look, and he'll build a case. Self-pity, I guarantee you that this, this murderer was whining. Maybe he lost a girlfriend. Probably because you're a moron. That's why she broke up, because you're dangerous. She probably discerned that. I don't know the back story, but, buddy, somebody breaks up with you, that's sad, but it ain't the end of the world. You don't go kill people. Because somebody broke up with you. You don't kill people because you went through a divorce and you didn't get what you wanted. So you're going to kill your children. And that's the culture we live in. I can't get what I want, so I'm going to kill you. It's the demonic world that we're walking in today. And that's where Cain represents. So Jesus is winding you down. Cast verse 7. If you do what's right, and the essence here is if you worship God the right way, by faith, with your whole heart, you're going to be accepted. God's not hard to please, but you're going to have to do it his way. But this, but if you do not do what's right, sin's crouching at the door like a lion, like that roaring lion Peter talks about, going about seeking who may well devour. Don't take sin lightly. It never stays the same size. Oh, just a little bit of lust. No, it'll grow. It'll grow, and it'll want more, and it'll lie to you. Oh, it's just a little bit of anger and bitterness. No, it'll grow. It'll grow and increase, and it'll contaminate you like cancer. Well, just a little bit of stubbornness and pride. No, it'll grow. It's at the door. So Jesus, in his mercy, stood in the presence of Cain, knowing what's going on in his heart, knowing what's going on in our hearts right now. And he says, buddy, you better be careful. You're in some danger. You're hanging around some dangerous thoughts. In some cases, it's you're hanging around with some bad people. Same as bad thoughts. Verse 8, Cain said to his brother, hey. I didn't finish. Let me. Crouching at the door, it's desires to have you, but you must master it. If you don't fight sin, if you don't repent of sin, if you don't go to Jesus with your sin, it will take you. One way or another. Now, it may be in a very self-righteous moral way. Do you know that there are more people in my life pastoring that are leaving church, leaving this church, not because they've gone off into some dark side in, in an obvious sense, not because they've sinned and rebelled. And You know why of recent I've had people that have left the church? Because they've left with a sense of moral superiority. We are better than you are. No, I'm serious. They feel self-righteous because they're more loving than we are. They're more accepting than we are. They're more affirming than we are. We are, we are too rigid because we believe that God's prescription of a man and a woman 
is what marriage is meant to be. And that we're not open-minded enough. And they leave on a high ground of feeling morally superior. The sadness to that is they actually act like they're out-loving God and their moral superiority. They act like that because they can love somebody that the Bible has said that's not appropriate behavior. And so God has his way, but then there's Cain's way. Cain's way says, I'm going to do it what feels right to me, and it feels right to me to give God vegetables. And why should God complain about vegetables? Because I didn't kill an animal. I'm going to do it the way I think's best. And we become our own moral compass, our moral, moral authority. We do it the same way in our culture with, with unborn children. People take a, a route of moral support. I'm not talking about people that have made bad, bad choices. They know they were bad. They've repented of it. They found the mercy of God and the abortion they walked through, and they've let God heal them. I'm talking about people that promote it as though they're more loving to the mother that's inconvenienced by the baby. They're more loving than those that say the unborn are sacred to us, which is why we have... Uh, petition. We do what we can in the natural. This isn't a political statement, but there's a petition there to get on the amendment on the Florida ballot that just says we believe that life is sanctified in the womb. It's, it's, it's sacred. It's human. It's, it's God's image. It's a baby, but it's God's image. Okay, so we live in a culture that says, no, you know, we just, we have a broader mind, open mind, and we're more loving because the Bible says in the last days, people will call evil good, abortion, and call good, evil, those that stand against abortion. It's a culture we live in. People will call sin good. And everything is acceptable in our country except for the voice of sanity, which is the word of God. So Jesus warns. Cain about going his own way. He feels morally superior to Abel. He doesn't think God should prescribe to him how it's done. He's going to do it his way. It's this exaggerated sense of independence. Freedom. Don't tell me what to do or how to do it. Well, when you're dealing with God, he's going to tell you what to do. He's going to tell you how to do it, but here's what he won't do. He doesn't stop Cain. He warns him. He doesn't stop him. It drives people insane in the Bible, but we'll, 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 we'll talk about that in a minute. He warns Cain, be careful. You're in dangerous territory. Verse 8, Cain says to his brother, Abel, let's go to the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother. They weren't arguing. They're not fighting. The sin that Abel had was that he was a good guy. Isn't it interesting? What put Jesus on the cross was because he was a good man. He wasn't hating people. He was loving people. He wasn't hurting people. He was healing people. He's the only perfect human being that's ever lived on the planet, and people hated him. Think about that. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed in this country. People that speak truth, hopefully in love, humbly, will be hated as those 
that are divisive, unloving, and the self-righteousness of the world is what put Christ on the cross, and they will come after us. They just will. When, when it just, it's the old adage. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that road any further. Anyway, enough said. Cain attacks. I want you to hold your finger here. This is spoken of, this attack in 1 John, the book of love. You know, John, the, gospel, the, the, the speaker of love, not the gospel, but 1 John chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 11, he says, this is the message we've heard from the beginning. You can love one another. Not what Cain did. Verse 12, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one. This is the source of the demonic anger. He took his sin and blew it up. And this is potential for all of us. All of us have the potential of opening the door, not that we intended it, but to open the door on sin, thinking we can manage it. And it begins to manage us. Now hold your finger right here. We're going to come right back. When he says he's filled with the evil one, Jesus describes, because he was standing there, watching when this sin happens. And Jesus says this in John chapter 8 about the devil. He says in John 8, 44, we'll come back to 1 John 3, 12, but John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil. These are church-going people, religious, synagogue-going, temple-going. These aren't murderers. These are people that quote the Bible. And he says, you're of their father, the devil. You think that won friends and influenced people? Jesus, you got, if you're ever going to be politically correct, you've got to learn how to say things in a different way. No, he wants to help people. He wants to diagnose cancer and demonic so he can cure it. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. What were those? See, how we live expresses who our dad is. If I hate people, if I'm a racist, a bigot, if I'm violent, if I'm angry against those that, that, that are against my opinions, if I have hatred in my heart and violence, the Bible says you're showing characteristics of a father from hell. You want to carry out your father's desires. They wanted to kill Jesus. Where did that come from? Right here. He's a murderer from the beginning. Now, let me tell you something. Go back to the bell. Before Cain kills his brother, Satan killed two people in the garden. God said in chapter 2, verse 17 of Genesis, the day you eat this fruit, you'll die. You say, well, they ate the fruit and they didn't die. They just knew they were naked. They hid. They were no, they died. That's how come they knew they were ashamed. They were cut off from God the day they ate the fruit. They died spiritually immediately. It took time for death to get into the blood system and bring mortality. That's why you see in Genesis, they lived this long, 900 some years, then 800, 700, 600, 500, 400, 300, 200, 100. Now they're fighting to try to get to three score and 10. Because sin brings death. So we've had a little upswing in medical world. Well, let me just help you. And I love the medical world. They're not going to find the cure for eternal life. That tree has been taken away. They're not going to find it. They're not going to find a cure for everything. I hope they do, but that's not what the Bible says. Death will reign until Christ returns. So Jesus said, you've been a murderer from the beginning. 
not holding to the truth, he's a liar and the father of lies. Now go back to 1 John. So who's filled Who's filled? Cain? How do you know it's the devil? Because he's filled with hatred. Murders in his heart. Jesus said to murder someone in your heart is as bad as taking a knife and stabbing them. To, to lust in your heart is as bad as lusting outwardly, taking it, carrying it in action. Inward sin is sin. It may be hidden for a while, but it'll show up. It'll manifest. You're of your father, the devil. Cain, and now it says twice. It uses a word that's only used one other place, actually two, but, but, but and I'll, I'll reference that, two other places in the whole New Testament. He says, you belong to the evil one, and you murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. That's Cain, and his brothers were righteous. The word murder here is used in, in two other places. One is revelation, where John sees the vision in chapter uh, 5. He sees the vision of a lamb that had been, the word means to be violently slaughtered, murdered, violently gutted. Like when you kill a sheep, you have to gut it to get the fat, to get the organs out, to offer it as a sacrifice. When Abel was unwilling to kill a sheep to honor God, he killed his brother to honor his God. He slaughtered Cain. He took a knife, he gutted him, he cut his throat, he drained his blood on the soil. This is what Adam and Eve sinned, but they they dealt with it before God and repented and honored. And, and Cain is given over. This man that shot gave over. Now, did he have mental illness? Maybe. There's a lot of people with mental illness that don't go get guns and murder people. There's more going on than mental illness. Demonic possession. Where did it come from? I have no idea. But when the devil was done with him, what did the devil do to him? Killed him. You know, when he was killing those people, he felt like he was on crack cocaine, euphoric, filled with, with this sense of power, lust. Satan inside of him was salivating like a wolf that just made a kill, lapping up the blood. Satan feels through us in demonic ways. But when he was done with him, he let the guilt, the remorse, the fear, and as a coward would do, he killed himself. If he had any sense of courage, he'd have killed himself before he went on a rampage. If you're going to be hopeless, lost, you're not going to do any help, then kill yourself. You say, the pastor said, as opposed to taking a gun and gunning down to almost 30 innocent people and killing 18 of them, shooting them in the head with bullets that blow up. Demons love death. They love hatred. They love division. They love divorce. They love abortion. They love racism. They love arrogance. They love lust. They love division in people's lives and division. They, they, that's their world. It's their food. It's their, it's, it's so God says, don't be like Cain. Guard your heart. He murdered. The other place this word is used just to, Bible interest people. It's used for the Antichrist that will recover, supposedly, kind of counterfeiting what happened to the lamb 
on the throne. He'll recover from some massive head wound. That's just Bible for the future. But let's go back to Genesis. And we're about to wrap it up. Genesis, God says, where where you been, buddy? Just like he did with Adam. In verse 9, the Lord says to Cain, why didn't God just kill him right on the spot? And a few chapters later, after the flood, God's going to tell people, whoever sheds human blood, their blood will be shed. Why didn't God just do that here? It doesn't tell us. I have a theory that I'll share with you. The Lord said, what have you done? No, 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 verse 9. Where's your brother Abel? Perfect response of sin. I don't know. Liar. Jesus doesn't say that, though. Why not? He's giving him a chance to repent. Where's your brother? I don't know. And then he smart aleckly says, am I my brother's keeper? i got to worry about that. The answer is yes. Love cares. The Bible says in the last days, people will be without natural affection. Just natural, not loving your enemy, not loving people that are mean to you, but not even loving your brothers and sisters, not loving your mom and dad. Without natural affection where the man can say, I can't have my wife, so I'm going to kill our children and then kill myself. Why don't you just kill yourself? Why did you kill you? Because he's vengefully trying to hurt the wife. Rage, anger. You won't give me what I want, I'll take what you want. Vengeance in the heart of Cain said, you think you're better than me? You think you're all that? Just because God smiled on your sacrifice, you're not taking my birthright from me. I'm number one in this family. I'm the firstborn. I'll show you your place. And he kills him and he says, am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, the Lord says, what have you done? Then he says, listen, just be quiet, listen. You hear that? Listen. You hear that? That's your brother's blood weeping, crying out from the ground. Wherever you buried his body, his blood is crying out to me, to me. It's God. Christ representing God. He, somehow, when innocent blood is shed, God hears the cries. Innocent blood, God hears the cries. He cares, he hears. Listen, listen. Can you hear the blood in Lewiston crying out from the ground? Deaf people, they couldn't hear that there were even shots being fired. Dads that threw themselves on top of their child. Can you hear their blood? Can you hear it? Christ crying out to me. In Israel, Gaza, Ukraine, it's crying out. God hears the blood of the death of the innocent. As it cries out on the ground, he says, verse 11, now Jesus steps up as the judge says you're under a curse. You're driven, you're cursed and, 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 and driven from the ground, which is where he made his livelihood. 
It's opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Verse 13, Cain says to the Lord, my, my punishment's more than I can bear. Self-pity. Did he feel sorry for his brother? Did he feel for his parents? I don't know whether Abel was married and had family and children yet. I, I don't know. But his life had no meaning. That's why his name, Abel, Hebel, is the word in Ecclesiastes for vanity and emptiness and nothing. This is what Satan wants it to feel like on the planet. This is what he wants those parents that lost children in Lewiston. Life is just empty and meaningless. God heard the blood and he punishes Cain, but he doesn't kill him. He punishes him. Cain cries about the punishment being too hard. Verse 14, he says, today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer. And I want to say, oh, well, I'm sorry I don't have any mercy for him. I'm not wired that way. Somehow God does. That may shock you, but he still loves Cain. Verse 15, oh, Cain says at the end of it, he says at the end of 14, I'll be a restless wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Oh, well. I find it really hard to find any compassion for this man in Lewiston. I'm not saying that's good. I wanted him killed. I wanted him caught. I'm glad he's dead because the people don't have to linger through ongoing litigation and having be called mentally unstable and put in an institute where he's well fed and cared for. I, I, I think they were spared in that sense. I'm not saying I'm right with that kind of heart. Maybe I should have been praying for him to come to, maybe he came to his knees. Maybe he repented at the end. I, I don't know. At best, we have to leave things to God. We'll say that in a minute when we close. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my pie said that, verse 15, the Lord says, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he'll suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain that no one who found him would kill him. People think the mark of Cain was something negative. It was a mercy mark. It was protection. Basically, God says, don't mess with him. He's mine. Don't try to bring vengeance on him. That's my job. And it gave Cain time to repent. Think about what you've done. Come to Jesus. Does he do that? No. Patience of God. Peter warns us, don't consider God's long-suffering from bringing judgment. Don't, don't think of that as God being weak. Think of that as God being patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I know that's some people's argument. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. That's some people's argument for not uh, having capital punishment. I heard someone on the radio appealing while we're going to Hebrews 12 to close. Appealing for this, uh, I think, did they just ex did they execute, execute the, uh, uh, the guy that blew up the, uh, uh, Tim, uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe he was executed. They, their appealing was don't execute him because we want him to have time to repent. Well, 
I think that's a fair, good heart. I'm not sure I have that kind of heart. The guy that blew the building up, the biggest killing in America, Timothy, did they execute him already? Yeah, he's dead. But this person was appealing. I don't know if they were a relative of someone that died, but they, they were just appealing in their perspective. They were appealing for not that he was a good guy, but he was a murderer, a mass murderer. And he paid the price for it here. But let me tell you something. Just a, just a little side note. You wonder why hell is real. Hell is for people that refuse mercy, like this murderer. If he didn't repent, he's facing a, a, a holy God that the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy God, a consuming fire. Judgment will come. But before that, I want to close with this. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, if you put it in the context of what we just covered. That whole story, I said that to just close with this. Hebrews chapter 12 is speaking about the new covenant and Jesus, and we get to come to something far better than the Old Testament, and it lists all these things. But in the middle of it, it says this in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 24. It says, we've come to Jesus, the mediator. That's what he was doing with Cain. He was the judge, curses the ground. Curse for you as a wanderer. But he was also a mediator. He put a mark on him. He said, I'm going to protect you. Not that you deserve it. I'm going to protect you that you might think about what you've done and come to repentance. Because we've come to Jesus. Look at this. We've come to Jesus, a mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood. That's his blood placed upon the Father's altar. That blood that the sacrifice that Abel made was meant to represent, Abel represents Jesus that was murdered by his brothers for doing what? Being a righteous man. His brothers, his own race, his own nation, put him on the cross and murdered him. His blood was spilled by the spear in his side and poured upon the ground. When he hit the ground, it cried out. But it said something different. Verse 24, the mediator of a new covenant to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel we can understand. Get him for me. Vengeance. Avenge me. And there's nothing wrong with praying for justice. There are souls under the altar in the book of Revelation in chapter 6 that were beheaded for their faith. And they cry out, how long? How long, O oh Lord, until you avenge our blood? Jesus says, wait a minute. I've got another blood that says something better. It says, wait, wait. Jesus' blood literally speaks. It says, don't kill Jamie when he deserved it. Don't kill him. I murdered people in my heart. I may not have acted it out. I committed crimes and I was sinful as the, as the, I, there, wait. His blood said, wait, I'm going to cleanse him, forgive him. When I came to Jesus and said, I'm sorry, God, for being the type of person, his blood said, you're clean. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can say that. There is no cure that the world can offer for 
broken, sinful people to be cleaned, to be washed, to be forgiven. His blood, if God could hear and still hears Abel's blood, Jesus says in Matthew 23, from the blood of Abel to the blood of the priest, uh, Zechariah, that was killed, the last one in the Old Testament, all that blood, he hears all that blood. If he listens to Abel's blood that cried for vengeance, there's a better voice, a louder voice that screams, have mercy on them, Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's the new covenant blood. When your mind is telling you you're a loser, you're no good, and the devil's reminding you of what you've done in the past, don't argue with him. That was horrible. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus says, I'm cleansed, forgiven, washed, renewed, reconciled to the Father. The blood of Jesus says, I've got peace with God. The blood over my mind. I talked to a young man this week, and he was struggling with some temptations, some things he used to do in the past, and he was just feeling overwhelmed with and I said, you don't entertain those thoughts. You say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke those thoughts, and I claim the blood of Jesus over my mind. The blood will say to the devil, you, out, now. You can't bring that condemnation. You can't insult them with that shame. You can't lie to them with that deception. Put the blood that speaks defense against all the powers of darkness. When evil tries to bring fear, my wife and I were fighting fear, just interceding with our friends that had to sleep with one eye open, worrying, is this serial maniac going to come in their home? And he had left the path he went by was right behind their property. There wasn't some phantom fear. We wanted to go up there and help them. We wanted to be with them. And so we pray. We were fighting. My wife got attacked with fear. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make us tremble at what he can do. Look at what Cain did to Abel. Like he's more powerful. But the blood of Abel spoke long beyond Cain was gone. Who was stronger in that story? Who pleased God in that story? Who had a testimony from God Almighty that said, I like your sacrifice. I receive your offering. I say you are righteous. Cain, I abandon you. I curse you. Now, you are still got space to repent. You're wearing a mark that protects you. Every time someone wanted to get back at him, there was a protection there. That should have reminded him, you should fall on your face and not worry about your punishment. You should be saying, my punishment isn't severe enough. When you stop worrying about the consequences, you know you've repented. When you stop worrying in self-pity about the cost of your sins and what it did to you, and you start praising God for his mercy of how bad it could have been, how bad you could have gone, how much worse you could have done. But the blood speaks a better thing. Are you listening to it? Come on. Come on. It'll never stop speaking. The devil can't silence it. He can't stop the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus says, you have been defeated. 
That's what his blood says. Are you listening? Come on. Don't listen to that other voice. Don't listen to the liar. Listen to the truth. Listen to the one who said, I love you, and his blood screams it. When you don't feel worthy, let his blood tell you, you you were valuable enough to me that I bought you with my own blood. I paid for you with my own blood. I purchased you with my own blood. I redeemed you with my precious blood. I gave my life for you. That's how valuable you are. You can trust me. You can rest in me. You can have confidence in me because my blood says a better thing. Are you listening? Come on. Let's pray. This morning, the Father would whisper to you online in the house, listen to his blood. Say, Jamie, I, I, I'll never be good enough to, for God to love me. I'll never be good. Yeah, and that's partially true. That's half true. It's not about how good you are. It wasn't even about how good Abel was. It was how good God made Abel. It was how good God blessed Abel. So God says, God says, listen to my blood. The blood of my son, whom I loved and gave for you. Listen to his blood that says there can be forgiveness. There can be a new beginning. There can be cleansing. There can be peace restored with the Father. There's no sin that the blood of Jesus can't cover except the sin that's resisted from allowing him to forgive it. God would have forgiven Cain. God would have washed him, cleansed him, changed his heart. He didn't want it. He wanted protection. He didn't want redemption. So he got to carry the weight of his sin the rest of his life, like a guilty criminal that gets free on a technicality. He might have escaped that punishment, but he didn't escape that burden. You'll either carry your sin and guilt to where it'll destroy you, or you'll let the blood of Jesus speak over you and wash you and cleanse you and let Jesus take the weight of your sin upon himself. His blood speaks a better thing. Are you listening? Let him, let him talk to you this morning. Let him whisper to you. Let him wash you. Let him cleanse you. If you're here without Jesus and you've never had a personal relationship with him, let his blood whisper to you how valuable you are, how he wants to give you a new beginning, not by you trying harder, but by the power of his blood washing and changing you. You say, what do I do, Jamie? You just say yes to Jesus. Say, Jesus, come be my Lord. I take your blood for my sins. I take your blood for my guilt. I listen to what you say and your good news that your blood speaks. Thank you, Jesus. Come rescue people all over this room, Lord, out of the darkness, out of lies, out of bondage. Come, Lord, set people free today in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one last song before we do. Please don't go anywhere. Unless you've got a 911, then feel free to do whatever you got to do. If you're here and you prayed that prayer with me online or in the house, and this is your day to go public with your faith, I say yes to Jesus. What you're doing is you're getting in agreement with his blood. You're saying, I'm in agreement with what the blood says. So, But we use this language, the Bible language. I say yes to Jesus.
as my Lord. Who wants to go public today? Yes, sir. Go ahead, buddy. God bless you, buddy. God bless you, buddy. Big deal. Big deal. Someone else. I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to Jesus. Come on, Lord. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you. Strong. Strong. Come on. Don't let the enemy bully you. He will. Just like someone on the internet, a coward hiding behind a keypad, he'll hide behind his lies. But when you bring up the blood of Jesus, he has no defense. He has no argument. He will flee from the blood. That's why he hated Abel and hated that sacrifice. Because that sacrifice was a picture, a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that was coming. That would be the perfect sacrifice. That would scream freedom from the blood that dripped from it to our lives. That it still speaks today and forever will speak. Anyone else before we sing this last song? Anybody online that prayed with us? Yes, yes, ma'am, go ahead. God bless you. Let me just tell you, that's the fruit of Alpha. Get in it next time we run one, if you haven't been through it. They've been going through our Alpha course with Rick and Chelsea. Thank you. Anyone else? For me, that's the way you push back in what happened in Lewiston. That's pushing back. That's new lights in the world that are going to bring redemption to this world. Let's sing this last song. and Sing it with the blood of Jesus in mind. What he says. Listen to him personally for you. Doesn't do any good if you know it's true not listening to it being true for you. He says I have purchased you. You belong to him. He loves you. You're valuable. He said, well, I, I don't know if he, could, if he could forgive this. He said my blood speaks something better. It's a mercy that's beyond any sin. Beyond any transgression. Beyond any wickedness. It's a sin there's no sin that he can't wash and cleanse and forgive. Let him speak that over you this morning as we sing this last song.